Welcome, everybody, to another Rit Nerds podcast episode. Tonight, we have our second guest to the podcast coming on with us. It is Michael Snodgrass. Michael Snodgrass started his firefighter career in 1991 in Riverside County, California, in Good Meadow Station Number 9. In 1994, he was hired in Gresham Fire Department in Oregon State, where he is currently still active as a lieutenant at Station 71. He is an officer for the Urban Search and Rescue, Truck 71, Heavy Rescue 71, and Engine 71. So welcome on, Michael. Good to have you. Well, thanks um, for having me. I'm excited about uh, talking RIT and all other things fire-related. Yeah, so we sort of talked about this before I hit record here a bit, and and. and I thought it would just be, uh, it's, it's very interesting. It's probably extremely unique, I imagine, across this continent. Um, I've certainly never heard of it before until you talked about it. So Gresham Fire Department, you run approximately 20,000 calls a year in six and one-third stations. So talking about the one-third stations is what we've been talking about. So if you could just explain to us about that one-third station and uh, what's happening there. and that'll get Yeah, us so... Yeah, so a unique uh, situation between Gresham and Portland and uh, our we're border cities and the border. Um, so there used to be the city of Portland, a space that was covered by District 10 and then Gresham. So there was a county district in between us. As we began to annex and grow closer together, Gresham and Portland uh, were divided by a, a squiggly line of streets from uh, north at the Columbia River, all, all the way down to, through the whole county, down to Clackamas County. So we kind of divide that line. There's a huge fire load, huge call volume load in, in that area. And um, uh, the station used to be Station 45, now it's Station 31, but uh, was built long before there was the Portland-Gresham border mix. And uh, that station ended up being on the border between Gresham and Portland. Well, because the call volume was so heavy, a third or more of the uh, calls that that station runs, which is actually a Portland station, are in Gresham. And so the taxpayers of Portland were paying to send, to cover a third of the calls to Gresham. And um, with politics being what they are and fiscal responsibility, they decided to close that station and allow the other stations to kind of pick up that that area. Well, because it's a high call volume, high fire load, um, their buildings did burn, people were injured, call, call uh, responses slowed down, and they decided that, hey, Gresham and Portland, we need to come together. And so they crafted a, an IGA intergovernment agreement. And when they first opened up, um, what they did is, Gresham ran the station as a Gresham station for five months and Portland ran the station for seven months. So we would move our rigs and personnel in uh, and run the station for five months. And then we would take all of our rigs, all of our stuff away. Portland would move in and then they would run it. Well, that's definitely not building great bonds of brotherhood when, you know, when, you get, when you're having to basically start over. Uh, every every year, it's very difficult to. What do you do with all those people now? You know, Portland was having trouble 
uh, I have a whole station worth of people. What do I do with them for five months or seven months? And we had the same issue. And uh, so then they decided to come up with a whole new plan. Let's use Portland rigs, Portland station, and have one shift be Gresham. So Portland does A and C, Gresham does B shift just with our manpower. Uh, currently, they're running a rescue and an engine out of there. And um, so A shift comes on, B shift goes off, C shift comes on, uh, B shift goes off. And it's not 100% seamless because not only are we um, different departments, but we have different culture uh, as far as SOP driven or command driven on fires. And there's some, there's some challenges. We use uh, five inch hose, they use three inch supply hose. So the rigs are different. Um, now the, they, Portland just switched to Scott's. We have MSAG1, so the guys actually have to switch out their packs, um, which is not really that big of a deal. We check our packs every morning anyway, so just a matter of uh, switching those out. But as far as the social brotherhood uh, and, and shift work, it has become uh, so seamless that it, it really is, you know, it's kind of it's kind of a proud thing. I'm I'm not involved in it. I don't work there. Um, I when I first got promoted, I worked at Old Forty Five uh, many many years ago, and I tore that down and built a brand new station and renumbered it to Thirty One. Um, but it's kind of nice to to have that and to have a large call volume. So if you're working out of that station, you're going to go on fires. You're going to go. Uh, on lots of calls, so it's a great way to get um, a lot of experience quick, quickly. Um, Cody Trestro works out of that station and uh, from um, Brothers in Battle and other, other really solid firefighters on the Portland side. Gresham has some great guys that, are, that, that work there. And, uh, you know, so I would say when I mention it uh, out there, the six and the third stations, it kind of, uh, what? And then when I tell them, the details tell people the details they are blown away because there have been times when portland and gresham don't actually you know don't play well together um and people sometimes make this big political issue out of it but i say have you ever had a brother because yeah. guess what brothers do when they're playing you know not once out of every 10 times you're playing you're going to end up in a fist fight me and my brother, <laughs> me and my brother was more like nine out of ten, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so you know, there's gonna be some, there's gonna be some ruffled feathers, but that's okay. But for what I really liked about Portland and Gresham is that when we talk about uh, you know catchphrases, them or put the citizens first or whatever, you know, it's it's not the most cost-effective thing to do, but it is the right thing to do because. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they would have to shut down, shut down a station to do something else, and uh, and it's just the right thing to do. And uh, and when city governments and agencies and all the political crap that goes on uh, around there, it's always nice when something works, and then it works the best when they set it up and leave it alone. <laughs> just let you know, let it let it move forward on its own, and and it's been doing that now for I don't know the exact date, but it's got to be. 12 plus years that we've been doing it so so the all the equipment is portland equipment so the trucks so how different is the setup on a 
Portland rig as opposed to a Gresham rig. If you've got to re, if you're way different. So getting assigned to that station from Gresham, you're going to learn a whole new, whole new system. It's not just the three inch and the five inch. It's everything else. Everything else. It's completely set up uh, different. Uh, completely set up different. They're both ALS rigs, but uh, as far as as far as everything else goes, there's very few similarities uh, between between the two rigs. And some people would, you know, for us, it doesn't even seem like that big of a deal. You know, when uh, we don't have bulk loads at Gresham, they have a bulk load that comes off of their back. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a bulk load. Grab hose and pull. And things happen, <laughs> you know, it's just like, okay, I mean, yes, you could get better if you trained on it and it was your rig, but it's the same thing as it's like, you know, we, there's a lot of talking out now about which hose loads the best and what you should do. And I'm like, the hose, the hose load you have, if you, especially if you can't change it, you know, if you're not in the uh, place to change it, the hose load you have is the best hose load. It better be. Because if you can't change it, if you're not in, that's not in your wheelhouse, that's not in your, um, that's not in your, you know, purview, you're not, a, that's not in your political clout, you're going to have the triple load, you're going to have the Minuteman, you're going to have the bulk load, whatever you're going to have, that better be your best load, because you don't get anything else. Yeah. I did hear of, uh, when I was at uh, um, firemanship a couple of years ago, I did talk to a couple of crews that. In the morning, they come in and strip all the lines off and reload it into a different hose load. And then when they and then they get up 30 minutes before they go home, strip all the hose off, put it back to the city standard. And uh, we don't do that in Gresham. That would get frowned upon immediately. But um, I was like, now that is some commitment to a different hose load. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you really want to get a different hose load. But, um, so so well, besides that one station, do you guys run calls together too then? Because you share that, that border. It sounds like it's a fairly big yeah, we, Yeah, we are uh, seamless as far as um, um, mutual aid. We don't, I mean, we don't even call it mutual aid. It's, uh, it's countywide ABL uh, um, dispatch. Probably so. we, yeah, well, probably what we refer to as auto aid. So the, the, it, everyone gets dispatched at the same time. It's automatic that we're all responding to the same area. Yeah, Ex exactly. And so, um, you know, with, with uh, AVL now, well, once, whenever the closest rig is, that, that rig goes. And then you have to be careful because, if, especially if you're going toward Portland um, with the call volumes, uh, go, you can go pick up a call in Portland you clear it, in. go back at service, go deeper into Portland, clear it. Uh, so we ended up pretty deep into Portland the other, uh, a few months ago where we were just like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to just put us out of service returning till, <laughs> so that we don't get even farther down into Portland. We just, uh, but, you know, AVL is what it is. It's, uh, it, uh, you know, we, as Gresham is, houses elderly people at astronomical rate so if you leave the station and you're threading your way through the station you're going to get avl for uh mm -hmm. for a call at one of the care homes i mean it's just just the way it way it goes which yeah. you know uh some some people gripe i'm like 
you know what? It's a great opportunity. The other day we set up the truck on a care home. Uh, we were on a medical call, cleared it, and just said, hey, let's go over to the corner and set up the truck, see where we can get to, go for balcony reaches and stuff like that. We did the same thing at a hotel at a little smoke in a structure. And yeah, you know, it's just how you look at it. It's just like, yeah, yeah. Really? Running, if we're running on calls, running into people's uh, homes and, and places where they're at, it's just opportunity to turn it into awareness and training. Yeah, for sure. We won't, we won't leave our city, but we can leave our districts for the same reason with the GPS dispatching. We, we've got what we call the vortex, which is our downtown east side. And some guys will get sucked into there for a continuous bit of time if they don't uh, forget to hit available on radio. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we, we call it, yeah, we have our vortexes also. We call it the yeah. exact same thing. It's like, oh, oh no, we're, the, we're, the, we're in the vortex. Uh, we can't get out. So, yeah, we have the exact same thing. Yeah, it's, it's good. Okay, so that's awesome. That's That's a really cool setup. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like we were talking before recording. Uh, actually, it's a thought of another. I've only twice ever been mutated anywhere. I was once into Richmond for that big uh, pulp fire to deal with fires that were happening from that plant. And the other time was actually, I used to be stationed at our fireboat hall. And there was a fire all the way up in Squamish. Um, so we had to take the fireboat all the way up the arm. But uh, that's it. That's it for me. Otherwise, we don't. There's none of that auto aid. They'll sit on the other side of the road and watch, or we'll do the same. <laughs> and, and we have uh, we have auto aid to the south too with uh, Clackamas <laughs> County, um, uh, Justin McWilliams Search Culture, and yeah. that whole gang is down just south of us. So um, you know the pagers will go off mutual. They, we call they call that mutual aid, but um, you, but it's automatic. You know, so uh, we go across the border. Um, and because uh, it's kind of a rural, there's a rural stretch just to the south of us, and okay. uh, and Clackamas Fire District is expanding, and so um, you know it, it's just the best for the citizens to bring the closest rigs. That's yeah, that's absolutely. that's how it that's how it has to be answered. You know, and it's just like uh, pol politics aside, uh, countywide, regionwide dispatch. It's always nice when when uh, the barriers go down and the citizens. Uh, you know, citizen safety and, and property conservation rises. So yeah. that's a good thing. To be fair for us, I guess there is, we've got the Pacific Ocean to the west, and then we've got a river to one side and an inlet to the other. So the only way to get the other districts is bridges minus Burnaby's across the road. Everybody else, you got to get across right. the bridge. So, And that's, you know, that's what one of the reasons why we don't, you know, we have the same issue with, we can see Washington, but there's the Columbia River. So we... Right. We don't go that way, <laughs> you yeah. know, it's, we don't go that way, uh, but, um, you know, years and years ago, and I, before I was hired, they were actually, were doing some bridge work, and I think Vancouver and Portland actually staffed the Portland guys that lived in Washington, worked in Vancouver, and the Portland guys, uh, or the guys that lived in Oregon, and they they worked at Portland and there was something I, like I said, it was ancient history, but it, that was quite a unique story when somebody was telling us that an old timer from Portland was telling us that. You're involved in a bunch of stuff that a lot of people have probably heard your name through. Uh, Firex talks being one of them, aggressivefirefighter.com. I believe is where you 
first one out? Was that the first one before Rodney Carpenter? Yeah, yeah. We uh, aggressive, yeah, aggressivefirefighter.com was a, kind of my first venture back when blogging was the you know the thing, kind of before social media really kind of took off. Uh, that was kind of the oh, you had to get a website, you had to blog, send people to your blog, and uh, you know now it's now it's. Uh, I still have the website, but I, I haven't updated it in forever. You know, it's uh, it's one of those things. But I'd already got the tag aggressivefirefighter.com on uh, on Facebook, so I just kept it. You know, just just to get up. But it was a opportunity for me to, you know, not anonymously, but not as Michael Snodgrass, kind of put out some information, some uh, some things out there about, you know, be, it's okay to be aggressive. It's okay. We were having kind of a, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to say anything super negative, but we're kind of having a downturn as far as uh, the desire to get in and fight fire, um, uh, get the job done, get, you know, act decisively. And uh, it just, it's was a point of frustration to say, Hey, you know, it's, we need to put water on the fire. And, and where it all started was uh, an old timer I was working with, you know, said, Hey, we make it too complicated. There's five things we need to do, put water on the fire, take tools, uh, do unglamorous work, work from the combat position. He said, crawl low, but work from the combat position and finish the task. If you do those five things and do them uh, aggressively, fires are going to go out and people are going to save lives. So I said, that's some pretty good information. So I'm going to put, I'm going to kind of craft, craft a blog or, uh, you know, a, a presence around that, you know? And, and I think, I think when we look at everything that we do, um, uh, I don't think there's anything missing out of there, you know, being great at putting water on fires. Uh, I mean, you think about a time, say a decade ago, uh, you had, you know, you had Andrew, Andy Fredericks, uh, you know, in, in memory, you know, maybe even 15 years ago, uh, you didn't really have a, the renaissance of social media driven renaissance of mm -hmm. guy, guys with cell phones saying, hey, this is, this is how we move hoes. This is how we fight fire. This is what we do. This is why we have a smooth board. This is why we have fixed gallon inch. This is what happens when you kink hose. I mean, all that stuff. That's a, a new phenomenon. It's, it's you think there, yeah, you think there was a, you know, I believe that there was a dark time there between, um, you know, between new firefighters coming in, um, kind of get some book learning and some other information, but something happened in a, in a little time frame there where uh, we weren't, um, we lost something. I, I can't even really articulate what we lost, mm -hmm. but, but I knew you, we lost something when we were watching, when we were on scene, arriving on scene and, and things were going so slow motion, so contrary to go in and put the fire out you know, force the doors, break windows, cut roofs. I mean, it, something happened. And then 
So Amer or aggressivefirefighter.com was just started out as just like, okay, I'm going to sit down and go, go in and put water on the fire. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just, just crap, just go in and put water on the fire. I, just, I don't know what the hell you're doing, you know? And you just, just vent and, uh, you know, tools. It's like, where is your tools? I didn't bring them. Okay. You need to bring tools. All right. And then, okay, well, never mind. You don't know how to use them. So I know now why you don't bring them. And, uh, and then just, uh, guys, the kink, you know, passing kinks, hose lines kink. If you walk past a hose line, whether you're the chief of the department or the brand new guy, training his family, and that's sort of that unglamorous work, yeah. you know, being at the door, moving hose for the crew that's inside, unglamorous work. But it's the, the aggressive firefighter is the one that kick, that flushes out the kinks and rows the ho, uh, hose into the house. You know, the aggressive firefighter uh, is the one that, um, you know, knows how to move through a structure uh, ready for combat. You know, uh, I, I said, work from the combat position you know, drop your drop your boots and hang your coat every time seconds matter and if you have to put your coats or what i don't know it's becoming a political statement now but you know if you if you if your turnout gear is buried and you the first thing you have to do is unpack your turnout gear to get it on that's that that is a struggle for me I, it's funny. I uh, talking to a lot of, a lot of guys like yourself, and that there is that that sort of unsurmountable, can't put your finger on it moment that seems to have inspired the creation of similar things to aggressivefirefighter.com, or it was that that vent point for you, and that uh, sort of mental health that it provided yourself, but also it gives you that ability to, uh, with that mental health of knowing that. As long, maybe I can get one other person. If I get one other person and they get one other person, then next thing you know, we got a crew. And I, like, right. you know, and, and, and I have to say, like, for me, Prepare for came from a very similar place. Was, mm -hmm. was that I'm going back to my volunteer firehouse to get drilling. Mm -hmm. And up here, you're not allowed to volunteer your career. But I'm going back for training weekends on acquireds because I need to get my hands on some hose. I need to I need to throw some ladders and things. I've got a brilliant crew now, and they they shake their heads, but they'll always get up and come to the drill square. So <laughs> you know, <laughs> we we gotta go. We gotta go again. Pocock yeah. Pocock's pacing again. Come on, everyone. <laughs> but but uh, it. it it's funny, and I, and I don't, nobody can put a finger on it, so I can only assume it was like the perfect storm of a bunch of little things. Right. Where, where whatever it was, that lack of information getting out, um, that lack of motivation coming from somewhere, I, and, and you can't put, like, where does it come from, right? That somebody walks past a kink, but then we still have that stuff where you're not supposed to walk past a problem in the fire hall, like, all those seemingly childish things we do in the fire hall that have only really turned into childish things because 
they haven't transpired onto the fire ground like they're supposed to, right? Like you never walk past a piece of garbage on the floor in the fire hall, you'll get screamed at. You pick it up and put it in the garbage, no matter who you are, right? Right from day one, which transpires to never walking past a tank on the fire ground. Right. But at some point, where did that disconnect happen? Right. And because the, the garbage thing's still happening, at least yeah. from what I can see, right? Yeah. And, so, and for me, you know, when uh, the, uh, for me, to, I think part of the issue with being able to articulate is because uh, it's easier to see see the symptoms, but really the, the challenge is, is that we see it slipping in us. We see our, like you're saying, you have to go seek training, uh, you know, which I seek training opportunities also. It's not, not a bad thing. It's just sometimes you need to go outside your box to, to get, learn some new, new things. Um, but I think, you know, now I look back on it and I go, oh, yeah, it was just, I, I was losing something, you know. I don't know. And then that allowed me to go, oh, all these other things, okay, I, I'm disconnecting from that. I'm unplugging from, from that and plugging into something else. And uh, so uh, because a lot of times I get frustrated at, at, at myself. First, you know, one of my favorite quotes and I think it's from Snodicus, that's me, um, is, uh, you know, every day, every shift, you're the worst firefighter and the best firefighter that wears your turnouts because nobody else is coming in. You, the citizen calls and you happen to be aggressively crappy that day, you know, that's, that's the best they get. You know, so if you yeah. are, if, if you have that weakness, if you have that struggle, if you have that, um, you know, and I think a little, a lot of it too is that aging. Um, hired in the twenty when I was twenty. I mean, <laughs> uh, it was pretty wild, uh, pretty wild ride for Snodgrass for many, many years. Then I slowed up a little bit, and I, I think I slowed down in the wrong ways as far as. Um, you know, maturing, try getting, starting on the promotional trail. And uh, sometimes when you get on the, I've seen in myself, maybe, maybe people have seen it others, you can have a kick-ass firefighter and then they start trying to get promoted and they turn into uh, something else. <laughs> and I could catch myself doing that. And, uh, mm -hmm. and so that didn't quite jive with where I wanted to go, what I wanted to be. And then, uh, and then really just kind of starting to look out for outside training opportunities and then seeing other passionate people and go like, oh man, I want, I need that bug. I need to, you know, put it, I need to get that back in my life. Yeah. Well, you see the passion and the joy it brings people to, to put work into their craft. And for me, another thing of the motivation of it is, is it's like anybody in the room, yeah, everybody in the room can teach you something right and you see all those guys and it's like man i thought i was starting to actually get good at moving that hose line but i just saw 15 people post videos today and i'm like i wish i could move hose like that right. <laughs> i better yeah. go i better go pull hose because i'm not yeah. moving hose like those guys are you using extra light water because <laughs> my hose is heavier how are you how are you not flush red, breathing super heavy right now? <laughs> yeah. 
was like, oh my gosh, yeah, because we have uh, we have uh, we run pre king toes at our uh, department. You know the, the yeah. stuff <laughs> absolutely is uh, you know it stored kinked. It, it flows kinked, and if you turn your do one any, anything out of the ordinary, you know, not perfect. That thing is kinked six ways, you know, you're just like, okay, look at that hose. There's not a single kink in it. They're just dry. What is it? They had to have greased that, that hose. <laughs> like Extra light water, greased hose, and then somebody's pushing the hose off screen, you know. Off screen, uh, yeah. 300 <laughs> feet away. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's fantastic, though, right? Like, I mean, there's so many people talk about all the bad sides of social media, but for those things, there's so much brilliant motivation out there. And, and to, for those reasons, right? Like you can see those passionate people having at it and, and it inspires you to continue doing the same thing, right? So, right. so it's fantastic. I, I love that now, my, my Facebook or Instagram, I can pull it open and a couple of flicks of the finger and I can see a dozen guys out there getting after it. And it's just like, right. man, I gotta get out and there. You know, and it's right, and it's it's good wolf, bad wolf. I mean, that's social media. It's got the good wolf and the bad wolf. It's just which one are you gonna feed? And uh, you know, and so if you're gonna go ahead and be like, um, "Hey, I'm gonna get on this negative slant," and I'm gonna, and I've made some negative posts. I try not to make any negative posts now, but um, I made some negative posts. Just, just like God, I did just blurt out something, you know about uh <laughs> and i antagonize at work especially i antagonize but uh, you know i, I just though that wolf seemed that the the dark wolf seems to to feed you know heavily uh, especially on social media and i just you know what you just click past it yeah. you know if somebody's negative unfollow them move on to the next person um you know checks and balances sometimes Sometimes I'll read a rant and, uh, you know, the, it's coming as such a harsh slam, but it's not wrong. So sometimes you have to read some pretty crappy stuff to sit there and go, okay, they're not wrong on what they're saying. They're maybe wrong on how they're saying it and the platform that they're using, but I get what they're, what they're, they're meaning. You know, I get what they're trying to, trying to go. And then, and, and it's kind of nice now that with all of the people out there that train and, and post training videos, you pretty much have 12 things that the um, keyboard firefighters uh, are going to comment on. And so all you have to do is tell yourself, I'm not going to respond to these 12 things. Somebody's going to have to come up with new and amazing uh, critiques for me to comment. I was like, oh, that's that's uh, slam number 12. Yes, on this particular training, I don't have an SCBA on. Yes. But I'm not showing anything with an SCBA that needs Yes, on this particular training, I, you know, it's I some did. Some PPE infraction. Yeah, some, infraction. yeah, some PPE infraction or some, you know, well, yeah, just whatever it is. I mean, it's it's PPE, it's SCBA, it's uh, fake, you know, smoke. The fake smoke, blacked out, not blacked out. It's gloves, no gloves. It's, um, I mean, there's, it's just the the standard, uh, 
the standard mishmash of things or or you the other day somebody i posted a quote and somebody took the time to say to look up the fact that that quote might not be associated with that person you know and they're all like oh hey just let you know that particular quote didn't come from that particular person and i'm sitting there going okay that, that may be true all right I, I did my own research on it wasted my time to find it but that doesn't change the validity of the quote you know the the quote is still valid even if some even if the guy didn't say the quote somebody said it you know it's, it's so i'm all like uh and uh yeah, and so I lit that guy up for uh, probably 25 replies, you know, and I just, my wife's like, wow, that guy really got under your skin, and I said, well, number one, he wasn't wrong, you know, Google does say that he didn't quite say that quote, but in doing that, he said a bunch of other better stuff, and so that's why I was just like, yeah, I'm gonna, I can't let this one go. Okay. You know, so <laughs> I jumped into the petty pool, you know, and just like just all right, in it for a bit. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm gonna I'm gonna get in here and just just slam on this guy for a while. But um, anyway, so the next thing you mentioned was uh, fire talk. We yeah, so fire moving X on, talk. Moving on with that inspiration and um, social yeah. platforms and so yeah, so uh, back. Again, you got to kind of go roll back before the fire department, fire uh, service, the guys that are actually teaching actual classes in their firehouses, in their bay floor. I mean, they didn't pull out their phones, they didn't pull out their iPads and do a quick recording. You know, they didn't, they didn't have the budget to set up big cameras and, and stage performance and all that kind of stuff. So basically you got, FDIC, um, you got a couple of other firehouse, a couple of other video platforms, and then you had your, uh, you know, institutionalized videos that are put out by IFSTA or, you know, whoever put out videos. And I was just, and then Ted, you know, kind of sprang onto the, um, uh, the world. And then these 20 minute videos started popping up on YouTube getting millions and millions of views, you know, and, um, and I'm all like, that's what we need. And then I found out that they allow TEDx to happen. So TEDx, anybody can host a TEDx event. You just have to do some branding, some other stuff. But I called them up, started to do TEDx planning, and they go like, no, 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 you, you can't limit it just to firefighters. Hmm. If you're doing a TEDx, you've got to, have an open source and take 20 of the of the best you can't just say firefighters and then so i'm like oh okay so i kind of parked it and then i go wait a minute there's no copyright on 20 minute talks i my driver is a professional videographer he runs it hey pat you want to do our own tedx just we'll call it fire x talks whatever and Boom, we did it. Uh, we set up, we were gonna use our training um, training room, which holds about 50 people. It was a free event, vendors sponsored the whole thing. And once 
I, like I said, it was free, but what I had ran it on Eventbrite. And once we had 350 tickets out, <laughs> I realized, oh crap, we need a big place. So we rented out the uh, Sheraton at the airport, like 300 and some odd people showed up, flew in, talks went off, everything went great. And then uh, since then, we've just been, Think you know the platform has changed a lot. Fire uh, that kind of element is not really needed as much because this element exists, you know, Zoom and everything else. And uh, but the uh, the ability to get high quality stage performances recorded at the local level—that's still Fire Talk's mission. Um, we had one for set up for July 15th and PDX. We had a dozen or so uh, people slated to talk and we would have filled out the run card um, to talk and it was going to be at the big stage and, and stuff at Portland Art Museum. But you know, wasn't 100% because of the COVID thing. Mm. If we're going to be able to pull it off and if we were able to pull it off, or the restaurant's going to be open. Where I mean, you invite a bunch of people out to Portland and everything's closed. It's not really that 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 good of an environment. So uh, we kind of squashed it and said, "Hey, let's just let's just put it in, put it on hold, and we'll go pick it up, pick it up later." And uh, um, how many years have you been doing Fire X Talks now? Uh, four. We're on our fifth year, so four mm -hmm. solid years. I don't know if we're starting our fifth or we're on our fourth four or five years and um and so and they can all be found on youtube all youtube yeah just fire x talk everything from uh it's all over the game so one of the things that's unique about fire talk is that you're going to see different people than you do that are traveling around um because not because we we don't block out anybody the first 20 people that commit to flying out and or driving out or commit to talk, they get the stage. And so we get people, um, you know, that never been recorded before. And um, I mean, we got to record just recently, Mo Davis and a bunch of Eddie Levy and, and uh, James Nisbet and a bunch of other people. And then years and years ago, we got to record Brian Olson and Cody Trestro, you know, and that was new. That's something that hadn't been put out there and there. And uh, so it's good. So it's always nice to see the people that are trying to get out there and, and they've got something to say, or maybe to say the same thing, but tweak it just a little bit or, um, or able to articulate things a little bit different, uh, differently than, than another person. And it, and it works. Um, uh kind of started off uh not my project but fire talk um switching fire talk to a nonprofit, and uh hopefully we're going to help fund a project related to first responder suicide and uh that uh that started started different places but uh alexander ray uh alexandro regal got up and uh delivered a fire talk about his near miss with suicide and um, uh, just, just absolutely riveted. I mean, and you realize 
that this this is he was nervous he's like i don't know if i should speak i feel i'm a nobody from nowhere you know and then he lays down a video that just i think is one of the most uh sincere in-depth looks at um firefighters that are that are on the couch with a gun and are ready to to end it all and i mean it's it's a dark place and sometimes people can't see that they're not in that place you know if you're in the light it's very difficult to uh imagine the dark only when you're in the darkness do you do you do things go wrong you know and it's just like blacking out uh Great article prolongs uh, the effects of prolonged zero visibility on um, on firefighters and on anyone, but especially firefighters. Uh, there is a reason why, when conditions go to blacked out, why firefighters do amazingly dumb stuff, and it's not because they're choosing to do make wrong decisions. It's a physiological effect of prolonged zero visibility. You already have low visibility, which is starting this clock. Uh, and then if things go lights out, it actually does some pretty pretty harmful effects in your in your thinking. But uh, that's that's where fire talk is. So where we're at right now is we had kind of a COVID little thing go on, but we're our hope is is that we're going to start kind of overlaying other conferences and work with them, show up and then take their stars, take their people that are already committed and already going to the conferences and say, hey, come off stage, let's go over here to this room, let's record 20 minutes of what you have to say. And I think that's gonna be a great opportunity to, um, to build a, a cache of 20 minute videos of, uh, from people that people know and some, some things that people don't, you know, uh, the nobody's from nowhere type of thing. Uh, that's, uh, we're all nobody's from nowhere at one point, you know, it wasn't, wasn't too long ago before nobody outside of Houston had ever heard of Mo Davis or Howard Reinwald, you know, or Cody Trestro or Brian Olson or Justin McWilliams or, um, you know, these guys, Frank Viscoso or Viscoso. And, um, I mean, even Ray McCormick, I mean, these guys at one point were just firefighters, just slugging along like everybody else and now they have a platform and uh you know that's that's really good yeah i mean the, that that's a list of big names nowadays and, and they definitely yeah. all, all earned all earned that heavyweight uh, belt yeah sure. um yeah that's so so that kind of leads us i think right into when you're talking about the stress because i know that's a big thing for the Randy Carpenter Memorial Survival Search and Rescue School that you also run is about that stress conditioning. It's a Correct. part of your training. So I think that's a good way to roll into that as we're talking about that blackout and how that mentally affects us right. make bad decisions. With yeah, and this is, you know, and this is one of those things where if we're like, okay, you want to get through all the riffraff and we're going to cut to writ nerd stuff. So the, the Randy Carpenter Memorial Firefighter Search uh, our survival search and rescue school is is definitely that as um, uh, started out as you know another one of those things where 
I want to say we did a writ drill at our department. Um, what, I don't, anyway, I realized in myself that I was not writ prepared. You know, it wasn't that, that difficult of a training and uh, somehow just things went, went terribly wrong. And so I started going to all the different writ schools that were offered kind of in the United States. I went to uh, uh, FDTN, um, Fire Department Training Networks writ school. I went to some local writ stuff. I took, uh, um, I even took, there was, uh, there was a college that was uh, trying to, or that was offering a uh, fire operations degree. And uh, they, they, they had to close up, but um, they were, giving you credit for hands-on training. And so I even took a college course on rapid intervention uh, training and survivability. So a full three credit course on, on that. And, uh, and I just realized that, that writ kind of, um, kind of needed a revamp, uh, a, a revision of what writ actually was, because I just saw, that writ had turned into, um, you know, a crew standing in the front yard. Mm -hmm. And even when we like said, okay, well, the writ's the busiest crew on the, on the fire ground. We, you know, check utilities, throw some letters. Some guys did, but some guys did, you know, um, there were, I thought, I thought we could do better. And so I started doing all this training and then, um, you know, not department bashing, went to my department, said, hey, I went, got all this training. I would like to put on, you know, maybe a, a series of writ classes, you know, for survival, uh, search, rescue, writ, and mm, no, <laughs> no, thank you. That didn't, didn't get accepted. And, uh, and not even maliciously, just like, no, don't have the money, don't have the resources, don't, you know, we have a training division, we don't have a training division, 2008 hit, you know, everybody got laid off, it was, it, it was chaos, so. Did union politics play into that at all because you weren't a training officer or anything? No, it was, uh, I don't think it was any, anybody was like putting the, oh, no way, man, we're not doing that politics, I just think it was the, it's just the wrong time, wrong person, you know, uh, it just, it just didn't happen. And so, um, about that time is when First Whip Fools formed and, um, we opened up, uh, we were just about to open up. There was two chapters that were actually unbeknownst to each other, starting to open at the same time and, uh, at the same place, you know, same area of Portland. And then we, my plate was already full and somebody's like, Hey, we're already doing, I was like, I'm all in, man. Let me be your first member. First with fools started. And, um, that's when I first started seeing the, uh, huge need for training. We were due 50 person max training, uh, days and we would be, have 70, 80 people show up, you know, just to train. And it's just like, Wow. And then the training was really, really done well. We kind of were a cohesive team and 
uh, I got involved more and more in the leadership with uh, First Whip Fools. We started doing more and more training. And um, uh, somewhere in there, I was, I'd taken all kind of the pieces and parts and I said, hey, you know, we, uh, First Whip Fools uh, stumbled onto this 27 building church camp and they were tearing it down. And so we had houses, dormitories, interior, interior hallway apartments, multi-stories. We had, a tr- we had churches, we had basements, anything you could think of, we wow. had access to. And I said, hey, can I do this? And the fool's like, we don't have the insurance for that. All right. I know I form companies. I've owned a coffee shop, owned uh, a brand, multiple churches, multiple businesses, landscaping. I'm, call up. All right. Got insurance. Got my own business. Boom. Uh, made a few phone calls to some people I knew and then uh, put it out there to say, hey, we're going to do a three day school. And I think we charged a hundred bucks for three full days of training. And uh, it's more, it's only 300 bucks now, which is still cheap. Um, called up a bunch of people that I thought were uh, really great at training. Some guys from my department, uh, Justin McWilliams, Mark Corliss, um, and just a bunch of people said, Hey, this is what I want to do. And we're going to do three days. We're going to do 24 stations over three days. Uh, the first day is going to be about all about personal survivability. Second day is going to be about rescuing our own firefighters. Third day is going to be about rescuing our own firefighters as a rapid intervention team. What do you guys think? Great. We're going to do this, this, this. And I just started laying out, building all the different scenarios. And 30 people showed up because that's the max we could do. And we trained them. A month and a half, a month and a half later, they're like, can we do this again? Yes. So I ran a month and a half later at the same location, filled that class. Guys are like, this is the best training by far I have ever attended. Well organized, the objectives are clear. Boom, and then we, then we started getting um, kind of people are talking to people. Social media is going. We got people from all over the United States saying, "We want to come to your school. We hear it's all, you know held in Clackamas." Um, and I'm like, "All right." So we ran it a third time and filled that one but that was mostly out-of-state people because kind of the local people would had uh you know and so we ran that and then that's when we um and then so now in the course of um three months over a hundred firefighters went through this training um and in that i started realizing how much i was learning mm. Uh, how much the guys were learning uh, that were teaching and then how much the students were learning and especially when the students would come back and teach at the class because um, like for one of the things we we had to add ladders basic ladders into one of our first day scenarios uh, first day training blocks because we realized that if you're going to rescue somebody you need to know how to throw a ladder and uh, pretty much across the from Texas to California up to Washington and over, 
there are a vast majority of firefighters that cannot throw a ladder effectively. Well, I haven't put my hand up. It wasn't until I finally got to an Irons Ladders course a couple of years ago. And boy, it's one of those things where it's like, you don't know what you don't know until you know it. And then it's like, oh. <laughs> right. right. And uh, and then so that really took me, you know, I uh, the Dunning-Kruger effect, you know, the I think I know a lot. And then once I know what I should know, I realize I don't know it. And then yeah. now I'm starting to flow back upwards. And, that, and that's where I kind of, yeah, we did the writ talk uh, the other day, and it's the the level. So the tactical level is paramount. That's the foundation. But what I see now, especially related to writ, you want to talk about writ nerd stuff, is that the level above tactics, but not strategy, like this this other level where uh, people are um, that are really are in the survival rescue and writ thought process, they begin to see the need for uh, a change of mindset. I think the mindset is, so it's not strategy and taxes, it's the mindset of surviving, rescuing and, and writ operations. And that kind of that mindset of um, watching where people fail. And then one of the things that we, so at first it was like the basics. This thing man, these guys don't know how to deploy a rope. They don't know how to throw a ladder. They don't know their SCBA. They don't know their mass. They don't know their PPE. They don't, uh, they don't, if they have wire cutters, they don't know how to use them. They don't know, I mean, and not, it's not like, oh, you're so dumb. You don't know how to use this stuff. Like, how are you here? You know, we realize that, man, we've got to, break it down a little bit. We had to change our mindset or we had to break it, break those little pieces down and get them installed in people and then work on mindset with the people. And uh, so we have the wire box. And uh, one of the things about the wire box is we can set it up as an entanglement prop. And uh, so that, but the wire box, the way we set it up for day one, is the stress is designed specifically for stress inoculation. You are going to freak out at some point in that box. But until you get to that point, you cannot, just like we're saying, people that are in the light, they don't understand the darkness. You have to get into the darkness to understand the darkness. And that's what the stress box is, is designed to do. And we've gotten way better at um, getting people through the box um, and, and kind of championing, championing their win for them. And it doesn't have to do with how to move through wires. That has nothing to do with it. It has to do with get, being calm, getting calm, and remaining calm uh when stress hits you and uh and so that's one of those things where we as we talk about kind of an evolution of the the course where we're looking at um the mindset and where the mindset change really happens is when we invite all 
people that have gone through the class come back and teach come back and teach in the class because the next level you need to get to is the instructor level not because you're an instructor because you will see the mindset shift that you need to have when you are dealing with survivability rescue and rapid intervention so so that that's fantastic uh it, so how long has the randy carpenter been going on for now uh, and why, why the randy carpenter who was randy carpenter to to yourself and to the area so for um it's been going on for four years and um we have done well over 300 students now over the course of four years maybe even closer i haven't counted them recently a lot of students um we've taught in texas california uh idaho oregon and washington and um the randy carpenter so randy carpenter died in coos bay 20 years ago and uh he died with two other um two other firefighters in in coos bay uh, at an auto parts store and um you know it was uh it was a monumental change in uh, it was a monumental issue i mean i it was heart-wrenching for the state of oregon it was the first kind of line of duty death in oregon in a long time but the connection with me happened because of randy's brothers so i was in the fire service when the coos bay event happened um there was a bunch of politics that went on with training records and everything else related to coos bay and um but the first fire talk we had um we uh kind of put it out there made a phone call to or to or an email sent an email to um this foundation that I didn't never, the Randy Carpenter Memorial Foundation, which I had never heard about, but um, Treasure Valley Fools had put on a class, and I think um, Brian Olson taught, and Cody taught, and uh, they brought out um, uh, Bob Pressler to teach, and it was partially funded by this Randy Carpenter Memorial Foundation. And uh, so, I sent an email saying, hey, we're doing this fire talk. I could use some money. We're gonna be, and we have over 300 firefighters. We're not charging anything. Can you send me some money? Well, they sent money. They showed up. They uh, uh, bought dinner. The Carpenter brothers and family showed up in a big way. And we became good friends. And in um, about that same time, I started this, survival school and uh said called them up and i'm like hey you know we're only charging 100 bucks it actually costs more like 200 bucks a person can you give me another you know grant of this money because what happened is, is when randy carpenter died there was a huge outpouring of all this cash well the brothers and the family didn't want to spend money that they're that was given because their brother died and they're neither one of them are firefighters. Mm -hmm. uh, the fa there's there's a couple of carpenters that are firefighters. So they ended up creating this foundation with all that money, and now they sponsor training in in Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. And so, I was like, yeah, we would love to support. 
can we come out? You know, we want to, we want to say, Hey, you're, you're here. Our foundation is, is helping, you know, if you have an opportunity to support us in the future, but so they came out to the, to the training and, um, you know, and I, just one thing led to another. I said, Hey, what would you think about if I, if this school was named after your brother, you know, uh, I know Rick, obviously they went in and got the bodies and stuff like that. I mean, it was a long time ago. So things are a little bit different. Um, but what if, you know, part of your brother's legacy is a school dedicated to surviving, rescuing and rapid intervention of down firefighters. And they're like, we're all in, man. <laughs> we love that. That is so great. And that's where the kind of the Randy Carpenter Memorial, um, and then, uh, man, I should have looked up the name. Gosh, I, I, uh, Hanners. One of the firefighters' son wanted to come to the training because he's a volunteer firefighter in Southern Oregon. So, uh, last name of Hanners' son attended one of the trainings hmm. and uh, one of the schools. What's cool about that is he's a young young guy, doesn't have a lot of funds. Um, I think he was planning on maybe sleeping in a tent at the training set. I don't know what, uh, but it was kind of cool social media. I just put it out there. I said, Hey, got this kid. This is the story. How about we do a little fundraising campaign, cover his travel expenses, give him some gas money and a hotel and pay for his class and uh, food you know, while, while he's here. I think it's going to cost about 1200 bucks posted it at like eight o'clock that night eight eight a.m the next morning i the the money was there yeah right on yeah it was done and so mm -hmm. uh so he he was there that was and that was good that just kind of ties it all together and so currently we um we're still uh enjoying a great relationship with the foundation and uh, um they're they're doing great great things from little micro micro grants you know somebody comes up and says hey i need a 100 bucks to go to this class they they write a check for that type of stuff and then all the way up to sponsoring uh, uh survival schools and um it's been it's been really good yeah that's cool that's that's really cool so we've talked about it a little bit already uh with all the training and the and the talks you've done and the places you've traveled some of the key things that you've seen and learned through all that on what you see are the main areas we need to focus on as a fire service in general we already talked about those basic skills how we seem to be lacking uh lacking or insufficient uh in those basic skills allowing us to work at that higher level because we're focusing too much on that stuff uh, we've talked a little bit about that stress acuity like you say and having that stress box just getting better at being stressed out so we can handle it better. Um, but the other thing you also talked about uh, in the questions that we sent out before is um, the lack of support from the brass um, to be realistic. So can you talk to us a little bit more about that or expand on the other two points? Or? So one, one of the things we do now with uh, the survival school is we actually, um, usually it's uh, somebody from a lower training level or the line that contacts us to say hey can you come to our our department because the, the school travels we uh um 
we, we, for 4,500 bucks, we fly in, build all the props, teach the class, fly out. And, um, for, and that's for 15 firefighters for a full class of 25, um, 6,000 bucks. We fly in, teach a three day class, bring all the instructors, house them, take care of everything, leave you with some great props. And, uh, <laughs> what we have found is, uh, the, and I, as an administrator, okay, you have to be fiscally responsible. You can't just break stuff and hurt people and not expect an administrator to become concerned. You know, we're hosting a class and now I've got three firefighters that are on injury leave. Uh, we're hosting a class and now I've got five SCBA packs that are needing repair. Um, you know, and as an administrator, you've got to be concerned about that. But, and I think it was Scott Thompson posted on social media the other day, a stack of ladders that all failed their, uh, their annual inspection. And the number one reason is because they got used repeatedly in training and on fires. And he goes, and so Scott's a chief at the colony, you know, so he's like, hey, one way I can look at this is I'm pissed because we don't have the money. We have to spend all this money for repairing these ladders. You know, what the hell are you doing to these ladders when you're training and using them on calls? Or I can look at it and go, this is awesome. I have to actually spend money to repair things that are being worn out by use. Not, not careless destruction, but use. Yeah. And, um, and so we just reach out now to the training to how high we have to go to say, um, normally if your if your department has, let's say you bought a full class for 6,000 and you have uh, for $6,000 and you have 25 of your guys going through, uh, going through the class. All right. We let them know that two to three of those students will be on injury leave. Okay, strained muscle, not, not because they fell out of a building or they, or, you know, that somebody stabbed them in the back with a halligan or something like that. I mean, it's a difficult class. Uh, you know, uh, muscle strains are number one. Um, you know, some, some knee injuries, some, uh, some torn, you know, basically injuries from use. I mean, just like the ladders, when we put our bodies, when we stress our bodies to, to not doing stupid stuff, we don't do stupid things. We, we do things that are highly effective and efficient. I tell people, you want to you, you know what's scary to me is, is climbing out onto a ladder through a narrow window where I'm trying to get up and down feet first. You know, I'm trying to get up out of the window and onto a ladder like, it is way safer to go head first and just do a ladder slide or ladder flip. It is way safer to do that. I'm not doing it because I'm, we're trying to do a cool gymnastic trick for people with scorecards at the bottom to go, Oh, that's a 10. We're doing it because it's safer. I mean, we taught that, uh, we taught this and then, uh, a local department, uh, had the stairs get, um, the electrical box in the staircase was 
electrifying the smoke that was coming up the staircase and conditions were going bad. They had to get out of a, a, a half story attic, uh, you know, a converted attic and, you know, a converted attic gable uh, windows are small. Yeah. Well, these are full size firefighters in packs in fire conditions. And they said we would have never got out of there on time if we hadn't have done the head first ladder egress. So we don't even call it ladder bailouts. We call it ladder egress. This is just getting on a ladder. Um, but in doing that, that takes a stress on your body. And so we let the chiefs, I was like, hey, two or three of you guys are going to get hurt, you know? And uh, um, not career ending, not anything like that, but they're going to get hurt, uh, typically. And then and we say, and you're going to have 25 packs. One of them is going to be, something is going to happen to it. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but you were going to spend some money on pack repairs, okay? And uh, if you have training packs, send those. Yeah. If, you, uh, if you don't, get a hold of your SCBA guy and say, okay, calm down. How much money do you have in your budget? Because we're going to have some uh, damaged equipment that needs to be fixed. And so what we had before that is we weren't going high enough up the administrative ladder to get all the heads going up and down yes, we really want to do this uh, because they weren't getting the information. If you're sitting at your desk doing budget work and doing chief type stuff, and all of a sudden you, you see three injury forms come across your desk with job loss, you know, time loss, you're going to be like, what in the heck's going on? If you're the SCBA guy and all of a sudden you have five, ten packs come in, that are damaged, um, you go like, whoa, hold on, what's going on? And that brings these red flags up. And so just a, just kind of an awareness of, of the amount of effort that goes on in the three days. And uh, we always invite them to come out, come out and see how well it's organized. Come out and see that we are not, um, we don't seek to, to get people to fail. We seek people to get success. And so that's kind of where we, you know, where we see, um, we get that first contact. Hey man, we want to do this. I saw the videos. I saw this. We want to, we want to have you come out. I'm like, all right, you need to get your administration on board. <laughs> and they're like, oh, well, you know, they don't care. And I said, they will care. They will care. So, and then the other thing is that, you know, there are some departments that have some very strict SOGs that um, that don't um, coincide with with what we teach, and uh, you know we're very respectful of that. I mean, um, there's uh, blue card groups, you know, now that have the on deck crews. Hey, we don't want you to teach, Rick. Want you to teach the same thing, we just call them on deck crews. Which don't, if your blue card don't crucify me, on deck and rapid intervention. If I had to put my statement down, I would rather have a, a rapid intervention team than a standby. I don't want, 
I want the guy, and a, a perfect example of that, of why I say that, is if you watch the video of the Glendale After Action Review that just came out, 48 minutes long, uh, two writs, uh, crews working, uh, two writ, and uh, they had two firefighters through the floor. The, uh, the uh, writ leader had, um, had an org chart of where everybody was working. He had uh, already had a team briefing. He'd already done 360s. He knew access points. I mean, this guy, talk about mindset and lead measures versus lag measures. What do you do before the emergency? Um, man, he had done it. And they successfully removed two firefighters with minor injuries from a fall through, uh, fall through the uh, floor into the basement with fire. And so, um, you know, so we're re very cognizant of not uh, stepping on people's uh, SOGs. They're, evidently, SOPs and SOGs are very fragile. If you step on them, they break. And they, cause, they cause hurt feelings with the jagged paper they leave. So, well, it's kind of, I've had that conversation before going places too. It's like, I'm here to show you options. And it's up to you. I'm here to show you options that have been shown to be in the past that I'm passing on to you. And it's, it's up to you to take as much or as little as going to work for, for making you better in your situation. Right. And, and, uh, it is what it is. I do like you bringing in the chiefs though. Do you, do you, uh, do you ever find, like, do you try to encourage the Chiefs to sit in? Because I've noticed that for sure, like, there's, there was this one uh, small volunteer department we ended up going to one time, and the Chiefs asked if they could sit in. They said, they admittedly said, like, I don't want to be on, on the hands-on course because um, I want to fill all the spots with my firefighters. But if I can be there for the entire four days of the course, then I want to be there. And it was like, yeah, absolutely. And their chief and deputy chief sat in on the whole thing. And, and to me, it was just like, man, that's, that's awesome. Like, that, that is so. fantastic. And, and it was just down to little things like we've got out the red air pack and they didn't have the rings on the red air mask. And we talked about that. And all of a sudden, I didn't even see him leave. But the chief comes back 15 minutes later, he's being down at the dollar store. You mean like these? Let's put them on. And I was just like, man, having that buy-in, right? Like, and the smaller the department, the easier it is to have that. But it's just fantastic to see. Now you've got truly got the support, right? They know exactly what those guys are going to come to them talking about. They've seen it themselves. Like, it's 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 huge to have that support from them. Yeah, and you know, one of the things do we we tell the and sometimes the barrier is not between us and administration the barriers is, is sometimes the crews don't want their chiefs hanging around i would say uh you know i would say that we have had our um not bacon i mean we're not getting in trouble or anything we don't even work for that department but we've had our our name cleared because a chief was at the site when somebody supposedly got hurt or a piece of equipment got broken or whatever and bells went off and because a chief was there by invitation 
they were able to go in there because I, I don't know if they have like a twin speak that they learn when they become a chief, but when one chief is te- te- talking to another one, it's, it, I don't know. The next thing you know, the, the problem solved, you know? Yeah. And uh, so I don't know what that is, but I always invite. And then on our last day, especially on our last day, we were going to work with, uh, we're still going to this COVID thing, just got everything screwed up. But uh, Red Helmet Training is wanting to do a three-day managing RIT class, the same three days that we do our RIT, our survival search and rescue school. Mm. And the last day, so the last day is all, all rapid intervention. So we do a little bit of instruction in the morning, but then we do scenario, 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 just one scenario after another. The last scenario we set up usually lasts between two hours and four hours. Mm. Um, if it lasts less than two hours, we just switch gears and repeat it again. But most of them last between somewhere between three and four hours. This is one scenario. And if, when we get chiefs that volunteer and they will, they want to run just our scenario. At the end, we, hey, you want to do this? Yeah, absolutely. They realize how stressful because we do it. We just we're on the radio. We're usually cracking jokes and doing all the kind of stuff because we're we've run the scenario many times, so we already know what is going to happen. I mean. It doesn't matter if you're a firefighter from California, firefighter from Texas, firefighter from Oregon, firefighter from Washington, Idaho, Colorado, all these places that people have traveled from. Let's see, we had, uh, had the East Coast guys come out uh, for our last class. You know, no matter where they come from, when we do scenarios, uh, the same thing happens. Yeah. All, all those clock, all those. I mean, you're just like. Hey, have they um, tried to pass each other in a narrow space yet? In the narrow space yet? Oh yeah, that, they're doing it right now. Like, yeah, yeah, it's about it's about that time when, when you know that comes up. Hey, have you? So, oh hey, we're about forty-five minutes in. How many additional writs do you have going on? How many additional maydays do you have going on? Oh, we have two. Yeah, that's pretty typical. If you are into a, a long-term rescue uh, of a downed firefighter, the additional maydays start stacking up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and it doesn't, amazingly, it doesn't matter if you're a Texas firefighter or a California firefighter. Yeah. The same thing happens. And, um, and so well, when chiefs are there and they're seeing um, the scenario unfold, uh, the awareness level just spikes where they're sitting there going like, they're not doing anything wrong and nothing is going right. And how do I go in there and fix it? You can't go in there and fix it. You can't drive the fire SUV in there and solve the problem. And uh, so it's very frustrating for them to, and and we don't really teach that running a Mayday um, yet. We're gonna let somebody else do that somebody that has that chief twin speak you know so they're able to use that secret language um but we can do it enough where he says like hey this is what we have found on these extended 
operations, have the firefighters start naming the landmarks that they are traveling by. So if you, if it's big room, call it big room on the map. If it's tunnel two, call it tunnel two. And once you begin to build landmarks within a rescue scenario, um, it's much like uh, orienting uh, during a search. If you're in a living room, you know, you don't left hand, right hand, crawl, baby crawl, they don't need that. If I'm in a living room, there's gonna be a couch, chair, a TV and a coffee table somewhere. I'm oriented to that. And so if I sit there and I go, Hey, where are you at? I'm in the living room. All right. Well, the people, you already are orienting to something. So as that's when we go like, okay, crew that just came out, come over here to this, to this uh, piece of drywall. Okay. This is tunnel one. As you're talking about, what did you do right here? We went hard, right? We entered another uh, tunnel. Okay. So we're going to call this tunnel one and this tunnel two. What happened that we went, and that tunnel is actually at a slope. And so there's a fall into a big room. Copy that, we're gonna call that big room. All right, where did you go from there? Well, you have to cross big room and there's three doors. You have to take the center door, okay? Door one is a dead end, door three is, not, you can't get past it. Okay, so we're gonna call that, uh, we're gonna call that center door. All right. Hey, where are you at? We're at center door. Okay. Is there a room at big room to stage rescue companies? Yes. There's a lot of room. Copy that. Rit two, you're now rescue two. I want you to go to big room and stay there. Conserve your air because rescue three is ahead of you, but they're going to need to be changing out now. And so we go like, Oh God, that makes so much, so much sense. Have guys staged so that the operation is moving forward. And, um, uh, you know, just stuff like that. And it's scenario-based, and I'm, I'm not a chief. I'm not talking about managing that. Just talking things that we have learned, little things like, hey, do you ever think about naming your landmarks? And they're like, oh, God, that's so brilliant. And so just a, just little things that we pick up. Right on. Yeah, I, I love that idea. That's the first time I've heard of doing that. It makes it makes a lot of sense, right? It's kind of like when it comes to naming the uh, down firefighters. Do you how how do you guys teach to name those as well? I've heard a few different things with that. Do you go by names to keep yeah, that we, nice? Yeah, and we easy? go right. So that's on our part of our class is that we highly recommend that uh, every firefighter on their head uh, are is marked front and back. So. The back of your helmet and your mask are marked. So on our mask at our department, our, our names are in fluorescent right across the bridge of our nose, right on the bottom of our mask. So it says Snodgrass uh, on the back and then on, or on the front, on the back of our helmets, our name is clearly marked on the back of our helmets. And then obviously our uh, passport, you know, front passport shield. So. When we're dealing with firefighters, we, and, it, and this is really hard because a lot of times we're, crews are 
made up from people from all different departments all across. And so, but we, if you're looking for firefighter Smith, say I have firefighter Smith, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, this is who I am rescuing firefighter Smith. If I have, um, uh, if I'd find a down firefighter and, uh, and I'm looking for captain or Lieutenant Snodgrass, Hey, we have Lieutenant Snodgrass here. Uh, we've got them. And so if names are appropriate, go by names. And, um, uh, are you using uh, a, a shout a shout out to the company anyways that that, that I know is is identifier just, just look them up quickly there or as I got them across my face piece they seem to be right and I, I I think it's identifier but I don't know um, I don't know if it's I don't know what brand it is but it has the amazing they, it glows right it yeah yeah a really glows, bright yeah. glow right yeah. yeah and unless you're unless you keep it <laughs> that's the other thing is like. Uh, I got rid of my SCBA bag. Yeah, my my lens gets scratched a little bit, but um, and uh, somebody goes like, "Why don't you keep it in a bag?" And and, and since they just spent all this money on the identifier, the the glow in the dark, I said, "Well, but if you keep it in a bag, then you're it won't charge. <laughs> it won't charge. So I'm just charging, you know, because I click mine to my regulator and hang it, yeah. and uh, um, you know, because I'm uh, I." don't like any buckles on my gear you know so i don't well don't you just clip your i don't i don't clip crap to crap man because all of that is going to get, get tangled up and so if i can if i can reduce one thing you know so i just hang my mask on my regulator because they're like oh well, what i said because if i i said my mask is gonna be on my face what does it matter I just want to make sure it comes with me, you know. And I was like, "What? What does it matter? Why does it got to be clipped? Why does it got to be in a bag? Why does it got to be?" I'm like, I don't want to unpack. I mean, hell, if I'm staying at a condo or a hotel for more than two days, I unpack my bag. I hate digging in my suitcase for my underwear. I absolutely are not going to do it for my turnout gear and all my equipment. I don't want to open up five compartments. I don't want to open up you know, things I want my gear ready to go. And, uh, and so that's what people are like, Oh, you got your, you know, I clip my gloves, I the better glove strap, something that we invented and you look it up on my website at 1495, I think something like that. But, uh, if you're tired of losing your gloves or if you don't want to put your gloves in your pocket, check out the better glove strap, little shameless plug there. And, uh, I say I designed it actually my son designed it. He's a pretty smart dude, and uh, it's uh, all the all the kill the reaper, or is that on aggressive firefighter? Uh, it's on kill the reaper, but it's on. Uh, we only have one store, and that's at uh, um, squareup.com/store/firextalk. Everything that's everything I sell is right there. So, okay. uh, but we created a deal where all the buckles are facing down in a way, and then it clips. It has a uh, a tightener and it has a snap. So you, one snap, your gloves come out and then loosen and put them back in and tighten them down. So that when you get to where you're going, your gloves are with you. And uh, um, guys that prefer to put them in their pockets, I got other things in my pockets. So I, uh, I, don't, I don't keep my gloves in my pocket because I've got the glove strap. I used to use the Velcro glove strap, which means I got a new pair of gloves every eight or nine months because the velcro gets trashed and the gloves fall out yeah and 
not because I was unsafe, but, you know, several times I've arrived. I fought a lot of fires with just my bare hands because <laughs> Velcro has failed me. <laughs> you know, like, uh, there's a pretty good video of us venting a roof. Uh, and this thing is, um, the attack crew is, is doing great. They're making the push there, but it, it was the only way to get to where the water needed to go. They needed to go in, uh, go out the man door into a converted garage and then spray up through the converted garage to get into the static space. So we cut a hole and, um, got them lift so they could see, which was awesome. And I could see like, oh, this is why we can't get to the fire. And then they moved around the chimney to get to the other side of fire and they sprayed the water. But um, fire is blowing out the hole, you know, it's point, point ignition. And uh, we're cutting a second hole. And the chief's iPad is recording the whole thing. It's just like, oh, that's, that's badass. That, that is a great <laughs> shot. Sure enough, man, they're like, where are your gloves? I said, cheap freaking Velcro glove strap. I don't know. They're somewhere in between the truck and, and the front door or the ladder. I have no idea where they're at. They're, I don't have them. You know? and, it was, uh, was going to be a calendar photo, but then you can see the wedding band. Uh, well, well that, that's the thing is, is that I work with a Photoshop genius. So, oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He can Photoshop. He's Photoshopped. Uh, I say, what did he do? The oh, he photoshopped eye, you know, uh, uh, eye protection on somebody for a photo uh, that was, well, you know, of course. Oh, where's your eye protection? Oh crap! That was going to be a great photo. Stand by. <laughs> <laughs> Photoshop could do a lot of things. You know? Yeah. That's fantastic. Uh, Everybody. That's, those guys. Yeah, but that's a shameless plug. If you want to look at a great little. Uh, glove strap that's that's one of them but more importantly is uh check your gear and everything else if you've got buckles uh get get them secured so that that they don't they don't get caught on crap you know yeah chad daly had a photos he shared a while back about just even that buckle on the scott scbas that's right. for, your, for your mask clip yeah and the guys, uh, on a number of occasions, actually, I guess, uh, searching in rooms, gone caught on the springs of the mattress. Yeah. They're stuck onto a mattress. Yeah. Um, so that, that, that's, that's. Yeah, those clips, those clips will grab, you know, the, the one thing that we have seen probably the most consistent is uh, Dollar Tree um, carabiners. So they grab a carabiner, they want to carry their light with them, they want to carry something with them. So they use those little cheap carabiners, non-rated, and they clip them on them, on themselves. And, oh my God, you, you put a wire in one of those things, they're not, not coming out. So, so another, another thing is, is like, if you have carabiners, okay, they need to be non-locking, and they need to be keyless, okay? And so the key is the, the little hook that's on the carabiner. That's what, when you're reaching back and or contorting yourself and you're clipping open that carabiner, but the wire still won't come out, it's usually catching on that key. Yeah. And uh, so get car keyless carabiners, and then if you don't have, can't find keyless, or you don't wanna spend a little extra money on them, 
take the metal grinder and grind off the key. Okay, yes, you're modifying a carabiner. It's not rated anymore and all that other kind of stuff. But if you're just using it to hold something on you, you don't necessarily need it rated anyway. And uh, so uh, I'm a, there's different ways to go about locking and non-locking. If you have locking carabiners and they need to lock for a reason, lock them down. But if you have locking carabiners and you don't need them to lock, wrench them so that they will not swivel closed on you because you want to be able to get those things out. If you have, uh, if you have the retractors for your, um, for your ticks, then uh, most of those retractors usually come with a keyed non-locking carabiner. Just go in there, take a grinder, and grind off that key. So when you're taking it, so I wear my tick on a lanyard. I hook it on the coat loop strap, not the DRD, but the coat loop strap on my back and hold it right there. And so when you need your tick, all you do is drop your shoulder. The tick rolls around, rolls right in front of you. You use it. And you're done using it, you throw it behind you, and it stays back behind your shoulder. And uh, it's a great deal unless somebody says, hey, let me have your tick. Number one, I'm like, well, should have brought your own. But if you have a keyed uh, carabiner back here, trying to slip it off of that loop, uh, not easy. So <laughs> got, the, got the grinder out, grinded that key out of there, and now I'm – now I have a 50-50 shot of getting that thing out of there. My uh, son does um, shrink wraps all of his uh, um, death uh, clips, you know, those uh, those clips on the SCBA to hold your mask. Mm. So just, he just takes a little shrink wrap, puts it up there, and, and, uh, and then heats it, and the shrink wrap closes it all up, keeps it so it won't clip on anything. And mm -hmm. uh, then if somebody – if some SCBA person absolutely like, hey, I need this clip, then they can just cut it and it doesn't damage anything. And it's not like duct tape that's going to put gum and goo all over. So shrink wrap, little shrink wrap, heat it up, get rid of that clip without cutting and modifying. Not you don't. Most people don't need a, a chief's permission to shrink wrap a, cl a clip, you know, but. Uh, they would have to cut all the clips off of all the SCPAs. Uh, like, oh my God, who did this? So there was a whole bunch of little tidbits right there. Yeah, a whole bunch. Brilliant. Um, so last question we should have talked about, and then we can wrap something up, is uh, we asked you about any personal maydays or near misses or anything that you've been experienced in and the things you learned from them mostly. Like what your takeaways from those experiences were? Um, so number one thing that I learned is that uh, back in the day, you know, um, before there, I, I mean, really before there was I, even a Mayday situation, you were talking about 94, 95, the early, uh, late 90s in the early 2000s. Um, I mean, there was times when you're like, okay, what if we didn't get out of this? You know, there, what do you do? You get out of the radio, like, help, you know, help me. Um, something bad is happening to me, you know? And uh, so uh, that's the number one thing is like, don't, don't uh, 
minimize the impact of May Day. Um, the May Day and the rapid intervention mindset and that whole uh, procedure and, and mindset and all that kind of stuff is a revolutionary idea. I mean, this is this is a game changer in in the fact that yeah, hey, you know, this is what we do to rescue Mr. and Mrs. Smith and little baby Smith out of a burning building. How much more should we be prepared to rescue our own? And uh, that mindset should it cannot be underestimated. The ability to get on a radio and say a word and have that change gears for the entire incident is huge. And for those that were before that, and, and when that happens and things change, uh, you know, I think we entered, I think we said, okay, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to start calling Maydays. If you're in trouble, call Mayday. Okay. And then all of a sudden, guess what? Firefighters started calling Maydays <laughs> and, and people weren't trained and didn't have the, uh, the mindset. They didn't have the knowledge, skills, and abilities. Okay, we've got the Mayday. You got our attention. Now we need to go rescue someone. Well, who's going to do the rescue? How is that going to be? How is that going to happen? What radio frequency? All of those other pieces and parts um, are, you know, is very, it's a very powerful thing. And if we under, if we cheapen it in any way, uh, we're really doing a disservice to it. Um, and when I say cheapen it, I think some of the things that people think, I think the LUNAR acronym is amazing amount of information and cheapens the Mayday because nobody that really is in a Mayday situation is going to remember what the hell LUNAR stands for. L LUNAR is, is, is for, this is where I say LUNAR is for. Lunar is for the writ officer. If, if I'm the writ officer and mayday, 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 I am going down my lunar checklist. Where are we going? Who are we looking for? Their unit and their name. Okay. What were they doing? What happened? And what resources are they calling? For? As a writ officer, that I need the lunar. The firefighter that's in trouble. He needs to go, mayday, mayday, mayday. I'm Lieutenant Snodgrass. I've fallen through the floor. So we do who, what, where, and air. Who, what, where. Falling through the floor, I'm in the basement. Okay? You may get those things on a real mayday. This is like, mayday, mayday, mayday. Lieutenant Snodgrass, I've fallen through the floor. I'm in the basement. And then we try to say, hey, if you have your wits about you, let us know that you have air. Okay. And, uh, and then for the writ officer, I say, think about the mayday, 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 Lieutenant Snodgrass, I've fallen through the floor. I'm in the basement. Did you hear bells ringing? Did you hear blow by, uh, on the, on the, um, transmission? Cause if you hear bells, you already have your answer to air. If you hear blow by, you already have your answer to whether or not the mask is compromised or something's going on. 
And so that's one of the things I say, who, what, where, and then air is I have air. What a, that's a game changer. And so uh, that's why I tell people, don't lessen the mayday with, okay, guys, we're sitting and we're going to practice maydays, which I think is good, at the kitchen table. Okay, guys, mayday, mayday, mayday. I'm in the kitchen. I'm on truck 71. My name is Lieutenant Snodgrass. I'm eating, uh, I'm eating pizza. Um, I'm getting fat. Please send diet pills, you know, whatever. <laughs> but, and so I am going through Lunar, but none of that is, is going to help me in, in that Mayday situation because I'm, I'm going to be stuck. Now, maybe if it's a Mayday situation where you, it's stabilized, and maybe you're like more conversational. Mayday, mayday, mayday. Truck 71, Lieutenant Snodgrass. I'm in the basement. Um, uh, we have good air supply, but uh, the stairs collapsed. There's no fire. Give us a way out. And um, and then, you know, that's good, good use of Lunar. But really what I want to know is who, what, where, and air. You know, what is the... Um, and, and that's where I think we, we kind of cheapen it. Don't blue card people don't crucify me. I think, um, on deck crews that are constantly train changing may allow for a cheapening of the Mayday protocol. Not saying that there isn't ways to be disciplined and have a fresh look and all that other kind of stuff. It may be better. I don't, we don't use on deck, so it may be better. It seems to me the crews that I've had experience with on deck, it, it's very difficult to stay disciplined and focused. But that's just my opinion. I don't have any research to back that up. I just don't, don't cheapen the mayday. So on specific incidents, I would say the number one incident I would talk about is um, fire in a house. Uh, residential fire fire is starting in the basement goes to the second floor uh, the fire is the house is at the end of a long windy very wooded road with a bridge that separates it from uh, the ability for the engines to get close okay so the first engine arrives here's the mom screaming that her baby is in the house they can't get the engine close. They cut through the woods with a water can, make access into the basement. It's on fire. Grab the kid, come out. She celebrates her second birthday uh, at uh, the fire station. You know, a couple months later. Very cool. As the as the thing progresses, we're we're on scene and. Um, the guy that was supposed to be gone, they find out, is actually in the basement. And so this is advanced into the fire. Um, and we, we already have taken one, one person out of the basement. This is before survivable space and all this controversy. It's just like, somebody's in the house, we're going in. And so my, I was a firefighter at the time, uh, the driver and the lieutenant um, pulled a hose line, grabbed a hose line, 
We went down the stairs into the basement. Uh, I pinned at the at the entry to the door, black choo-choo train smoke pumping out of the basement doorway. Uh, bilateral flow, so air's coming in. Fire is blowing out multiple windows, uh, but there's a, there's a good amount of visibility in there, and those two guys go in. I'm at the door with the nozzle. Um, this is kind of in the era of don't spray smoke with water. Mm. And, um, and so that choo-choo train smoke comes, and it's just like a flashover container. Little bits of little fire sharks start racing through the choo-choo train smoke. And I'm all like, so I started getting on the ground. I'm a flashlight. I'm all like, Mike, Jeff, got to get out of there, man. And they're like, we haven't done the search yet. They're, they're searching. And, um, and then it flashes. Um, and uh, I was just like, oh, and it technically is not a flash because everything in the container didn't burn. The smoke ignited. So we had a layer of fire over a cooler layer of air, whatever you want to call it. I don't know. The science people. My son will get on here and be like, Dad, you know, that's just an ignition of the smoke layer. Uh, but um, so I just start flowing water, you know, just just giving it. But this is a well-advanced fire. So our and I can't remember if we were still using 95 gallon per minute fixed gallonish nozzles at the time. But so this is a while ago or an auto nozzle. Anyway, flowing, flowing water beat the band. Um, and it's still igniting. I mean, we're not, it's the GPM are not overcoming the BTUs by far. So I, this would be a mayday situation. Jeff and Mike are not responding. They're not coming out and the container they're in is full of fire. And I'm pinned at the door flowing water to give them hopefully the only way out. So that would be a mayday situation. I, the fire does darken down just a little bit. I get uh, a face comes out and says, we got him. And uh, uh, they drag him to the door. They're kind of spent. I take him, start dragging him up the stairs. Uh, Jeff or Mike or one of the other guys um, is carrying their legs. We're dragging them up. And, and unfortunately, he did not make it. But uh, that was clearly one of those things where um, at that particular moment, there was only three people aware of what was happening on the fire ground. We had hose lines working on multiple areas and all that. We had one crew, uh, I think we were on, yeah, we were on truck that day, so truck 71. We have a report of one victim in the basement, go get him, you know? And that was it, no backup line. And not saying that we're doing anything wrong. Everybody is doing their job, we're fighting fire. Uh, things, water is going into the building and, um, and in that particular situation, just uh, it would have been nice if all of the heads on the fire ground and all of the ears on the fire ground would have perked up to know, and hey, we got two firefighters that are in trouble, okay, in the basement. So maybe that two and a half that was operating on the first floor turns and hits the fire that they've not been hitting that's in the basement right now through the basement window or, you know, something, some awareness that something like that was going on. And, uh, and then uh, there's just one of those things there. It could have turned the other way. I mean, what would have happened if nothing happened? 
the fire still raged. Jeff and Mike didn't come out. You know, this was talking about how this is back when firefighters didn't have radios. Only the officer had a radio. Okay, what do I do? Stop flowing water, run up the stairs, say, help me, help me. <laughs> Two firefighters are in the basement dying, you know. And so that's one of the things I look at and go, don't cheapen the mayday, man. This thing is, is a powerful tool uh, to use. And don't be the person caught on their heels. If you're a rapid intervention and you're standing out in the, you know, as a yard shepherd, talking about the latest sports game or whatever, and there's crews operating inside. I mean, like, who, where is Engine 71 operating at? Where is Engine 72 operating at? I don't know. Dude, that's not acceptable. Your whole job is to know what is going on. And I have, we haven't had that conflict. I'm just imagining it in my mind of mm -hmm. this ability to, to not cheapen the mayday. It's, uh, I really like that phrase, don't cheapen the mayday. I'm definitely going to be, uh, definitely going to be quoting you with that one. Moving yeah. forward. And you know what, one of the scenarios that we run is, uh, um, rapid intervention. This is a great, so for those that are out there and like, man, we want to do, we want to do some rap, some training, but what are we going to do? Here's an easy one. Uh, second floor, you have to have a second floor room, smoke it out, put a hose dummy or a live victim in there. Um, obviously if you're smoking it out, use toxic, non-toxic smoke, <laughs> uh, put a firefighter in there and then as the, and then put the crew on the rig. And as they're driving up, assign them writ. As they're driving up, hey, engine seven three, when you arrive, you'll be you will be writ. Uh, give me a three sixty control utilities reporting conditions, blah blah blah. And then right after that, that moment, hit the mayday, 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 mayday. Firefighter Smith, I'm uh, I'm trapped on the second floor. I'm in a bedroom. Fire conditions are are down, and my I have no water. Okay, whatever the deal is. And then uh, that's the go. So you've just been assigned writ. You're pulling up to the scene. And you have a firefighter that's in that second floor window. Go. And so, and it happens all the time. We assign writ all the time as crews are arriving. You know? And, uh, and so that's one of the scenarios that we run. And that's one of the scenarios where, because it's going to be a VES to go get them. Um, so they do rent to v, uh, a RIT VES and uh, to get them out of that window. But it's one of those things where um, how prepared are you to for go time when you arrive on, on scene? And uh, that's why we had to add ladders. That's why we had to add what the walking mask up. You know, we train firefighters hey can you mask up while you're walking and uh you know some of them can't i i actually appreciate guys like nope uh well do you want to track nope i would rather do what i'm going to do you know i'll throw the ladder and i'll do and then i'll mask up on a knee just like i do because i can i can do that in 20 you know 20 seconds but if i'm going to try to fiddle fart around it's like okay well uh, you might want to practice it. You, you might want to get really good at it. Actually, it's a pretty good technique to 
mask up as you're closing distance upon the enemy. <laughs> and, uh, but like it, I've had other guys like, I've got tools in my hands. I got all sorts of stuff going on. I'm like, I'll just get there and be really good at masking up when I get there. All right. I, at least there's a reason, you know, at least, uh, at least there's a reason. And, um, I mean, simple things like guys, if you're not using anti-fog or a little bit of Dawn dish soap on the inside of your mask to keep it from, uh, keep it from fogging up, do that. <laughs> You know, the lens, anti-fancy stuff burns my eyes, so I just use Dawn dish soap and just one one microscopic little drop, polish the inside of my mask, polish the outside of my mask, then take a clean cloth and dry it out, you know, just polish it up. No fog. That way you can actually wear your mask while you're not plugged in and it doesn't fog up. And uh, people are like, I've been in and doing the job for 20 years. Nobody ever told me that, you know, so they're like, yeah, yeah, now, you know, don't have a foggy mask, use some Dawn. So. Touch a Dawn and the fog is gone. Yeah, there you go. I like it. <laughs> oh man, we're going to sell so much, so many droplets of Dawn. <laughs> so uh, a few things I want to touch as we close up here, just to touch back on. One, uh, so that I myself, but other people can go. You talked about a book about the blackout stress response. What, what yeah. was that? What was that? Uh, it's, the, it's not a book. It's a, a research project. Okay. And uh, um, it's uh, just look up prolonged zero visibility syndrome. I think it is uh, P, prolonged zero visibility. Type that in research. And there is a great article written about the ill effects of the of prolonged zero visibility, okay. and um, and it, it doesn't take that it's not that prolonged before the next thing you know is you think up is down and left is right. Yeah. So. So just throw that in the Google search and it's going to come up. Yeah. Prolonged. I hope zero it does. I haven't. I haven't. Uh, I have it on my file uh, somewhere, the article, but just look up per prolonged zero visibility research and there's a fire article under that somewhere. Okay. And then the after action port, that was Glendale, California. And that's yeah, Glendale, Glendale, California. It's on YouTube. 48 minutes of fantastic information. Um, you know, you have to get through the whole incident but the whole incident is what builds on the what the event that happens, and then the rapid intervention team's response uh, to to getting the firefighters out, and the fact that they came out with minor injuries. So, and yeah. and the captain was definitely saved by rule number fundamental number one of aggressive firefighting: put water on the fire. Guy is standing there, is not being told to do it, not being directed to do it. Guy is standing there with a nozzle. The captain falls through the floor and fire comes out in the hole that he made. And so he opens up the nozzle and sprays water on the fire. Uh, captain he intervenes. Yeah, the captain, it come, you know, he's like initially, hell, I'm, I'm burning. And then, oh, oh, I'm cool. Uh, the water is cascading. I'm, I'm all right. So he just stands there as the water, you know, and then he doesn't realize another firefighter fall. You have to, 
you have to research it, but yeah. one guy, one guy puts water on the fire and, uh, and does a great thing. So if yeah. you see a fire, if you see Michael Snodgrass fall through the floor of a burning building and fire comes out, I don't care if you have a garden hose or two and a half. Get water. Put water in the hole. <laughs> Put water on the Fire Project Mayday, 93% of all those that fell through the floor find heavy fire. Right. And There's uh, a reason why the floor is, <laughs> floors are not designed to fall through. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we should uh, not be surprised. There's that after action report on YouTube as well. It's very good with Sacramento fire. There's a probationary went through. And they don't get water on them right away. Um, there's a lot of things happening with that rescue. But there is a point where he, they eventually open up the nozzle. And he says, like, initially it hit me. It actually hit me in the face, put me to the ground. But then I just, he'd already had third degree burns at that point. But he even says, like, all of a sudden I just felt like, man, at least it's cold now. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? it is. A, like, it's, a, it's amazing. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we had, um, we had a uh, near miss uh, last year, the year before, where uh, hose lines in place, fire crews in place. They hook a seal, hook the ceiling, and things go instant bad. And uh, one of our one of our newer members, younger younger members, actually flows water continually under. Uh, heavy fire conditions down the staircase um, with uh, two crews, uh, two crews and uh, yeah, two crews uh, coming down in a rapid manner. And that, that, that fire flow or that water flow on the fire was, was the game changer, you know, would they have died? They probably would not have died. Would they have, would they have suffered burns? hundred percent. You know, if, if, and that's, that's one of those stress inoculation things. Okay. It, everybody can see, all right, blackout. And now it's 500 degrees and you have a nozzle in your hand. Do you know a hundred percent of the time that you're going to open that nozzle? And then if you do open that nozzle, are you prepared? I mean, are you prepared for moving under blacked out? heavy fire conditions and forward backwards upstairs downstairs what what are you prepared for and uh and and because it's not always the mattress on fire walk in spray water go out sometimes you know if you're going to be in this i tell people so the average firefighter works ten thousand days in their life uh or there are firefighters for ten thousand days they don't work ten thousand days i'm like of the 10,000 days that you get to be a professional firefighter, you're not, you're going to tell me that at no point are you going to have to flow water or move or survive or dit, untangle in high heat, low vis conditions. That, that seems pretty, if you're not going to do that ever in your career, it seems like you have a pretty lame career choice. <laughs> um, but uh, that being said, I don't want to get the safety police on me. We would prefer to be in high vis, low heat uh, situations. So, um, flow water, bring tools. But how do you get rid of the heat? You flow water. I mean, you flow water. That's right. <laughs> that was one of the things, uh, Jim, when they did the Fairfax study 
is that's one of the things they noticed was uh, to do more emphasis on zero visibility hose maneuvers. Right. And, and, and after I remember the first time reading that study, it made, um, again, you start, you internalize it, right? And I think, well, how many times have I actually done zero visibility hose maneuvers, right? It, it is something we don't generally do a lot of. Right. And, you know, uh, a lot of the guys now are, you know, are a lot of the training people. So using blackout, low, high, hyper low vis um, for training is, uh, <laughs> is a, it's, it's one of these things that it's a good tool. But if you take somebody that's never done, done something, mm -hmm. you black about, throw a bid. I was like, okay, now what we're going to have you do, and then we give them absolutely horrible instruction. Okay, <laughs> go to the staircase on your left, and then flow water up and over to the right to the door. I can't see. You just blacked <laughs> me out. <laughs> yeah. What the hell are you talking about? Well, oh, yeah. Okay, well, let me, let me walk you over here. Okay, now here's the nozzle. All right. Uh, okay, we'll get on a knee because it's hot. Okay, so you want me to crawl up this staircase flowing water? Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, where, where's my, you know, and then you're just like, okay, hold on. <laughs> All right. Back, back it up. All right, guys. Yeah. We're going to, you know, we understand that this is an advanced maneuver, you know. I would, uh, yeah, so that's like one of those things, like, Hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have you flow water up this staircase. Then we're going to put this blackout shield on you. And we want you to flow water backing down the staircase. And the idea is, is that it's high heat, low vis, and you're backing down. And when you get down to the bottom of the stairs, if you've flowed water continuously, then the fire's out and you've saved the day. Um, but for some people, that would be very difficult. And, uh, and then they would, but maybe in that training you go like hey when you're coming up the stairs and there's variable uh fire conditions put a guy at the stairs <laughs> you know if you're if you have to move away from the stairs with a nozzle stay oriented to those stairs it it's a game changer <laughs> you know that's well won't my hose be on the stairs yeah, they'll be on the stairs. Have you ever tried to follow a hose line and flow water at the same time? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really work out that well, you know. And uh, oh, oh yeah. And I also want to tell you, in real fire conditions, the ceiling tiles that you're blasting out or the drywall you're removing with your nozzle as you're trying to save your own bacon is actually making the fire bigger at this particular time. So uh, I sprayed water and it got hotter. Mm, well, that's because you were spraying into a fully involved attic that was now breaking through the holes that you were making. And because it was ventilated, because amazingly, even if you don't have a truck company, guess what? All attics are ventilated, you know? <laughs> so they're going to have fire actively rolling through them. All that water, air, uh, you can't push fire. I understand that. But the air you're in training with your water, okay, is blowing the fire. And so as I, I got a, I was teaching a fire behavior class and I'm like, well, I saw the UL NIST, you can't push fire. And I'm like, okay, yes, water does not push fire. 
100%. Nozzles flow air and water. And if we put a fan on fire, it gets usually gets bigger. And if not, it gets more intense. So the air and the water have an effect on fire. And they're like, oh, oh okay. So yes, things can get bad while flowing water. So, uh, but eventually they'll get better. Uh, I don't remember who, I can't quote it. Mark Warren, if you're listening and you're gonna catch me on an unsighted quote, this is one of them, you know, I'd rather drown. Uh, if I have to die in a fire, I'd rather drown than burn. You know, so flow water. And, uh, but anyway. Awesome. Well, that's, that's great. Thank you very much for your time. I mean, yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, it's been, it's been great. I, uh, you know, I think the fire service is getting better, uh, by virtual conversation and by actual training conversation. I tell people like go to conferences for the brotherhood and not the rah, rah, let's drink beer. But yes, uh, amazingly, if you want, if you want to absolutely, you know, wives are convinced that we go out there and just party like there's no tomorrow. Bring, you know, not all the time because you right. piss the other guys off, but bring the wife over and let her realize that you guys are, that firefighters are insane enough that when they have the ability to drink beer and party, you know what they do? They, some of them do. Yes. Some of them, they, they, they have no freedom at home to drink beer or whatever. And they have to drink all beer <laughs> while they're at a conference. Okay, I, got, I got those guys. But for the most part, guys are sitting around the table and they're talking about the fire service, what yeah. they've learned, what the struggles they have, what they, what they know and what they do. And then, yes, there are some binge drinking brotherhoods running around with their shirts off and doing whatever the <laughs> hell they do. But, um, uh, but that, that's the my, time. What's that? My, my wife knows the truth. That's why she doesn't come to the conferences because she doesn't want to hear me talk fire all night long. <laughs> that's a hundred percent. She's like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Like, uh, you guys are just, yeah, it's, it's incredibly, uh, but if I, if teachers had conferences, my wife's a teacher and we went and I had to listen to a bunch of teachers talk about teaching kids, I'd be like, oh, <laughs> not, that mo not that exciting. Yeah, exactly. All right, man, Nathan, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. Uh, guys, if you want some easy videos to, uh, to put on for training, 20 minute training, uh, FireX Talk on uh, YouTube. Um, squareup.com backslash store backslash fire x talk uh got some things on there you can buy um if you want a school if you want us to come out and teach you a school it's 4500 bucks for 15 people six grand for 25 people we bring everything and the instructors you just have to have a two-story building and a fire engine and a ability to fill 300 air bottles in three days so um yeah i'm gonna easy. i'm gonna have to add a canadian to your list one of these days yeah absolutely um, I, I think you would like to come on fly on down and uh um attend you know uh come as a adjunct professor 
Uh, uh, I, I, I got to do it the real way. I got to be the student first. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, you <laughs> might, uh, that's one of the things, that's the claim to fame is that uh, every one of the instructors that is going through it has been through it. You know, as, as teaching it has been through it. And, you know, when we first got started, it, it was kind of weird because we built the stress inoculation box, the wire boxes, and then just the instructors, because I knew what I wanted to teach, but most of the guys hadn't been to the, so they're like, okay, just well, why are there so many damn wires? I'm like, because <laughs> it's not a wire entanglement, but it's designed to make you melt down. Yeah, and uh, and then so they did, and they did melt down, and they're in a in a training warehouse in Clackamas. <laughs> We've had several Mayday events. This <laughs> is like it's an eight foot box that I'm losing my mind. Yeah, um, perfect. Yeah. All right, man. Have a good night. You too. Have a good one. Right. And uh, yeah, we'll talk again. Talk again yeah, soon absolutely. when all this madness ends. We'll get together. Oh yeah, absolutely. All right. <laughs> Take it easy, brother. Have a good one. All right. Night.